Now, if you are here and you have a Bible, whether that is a physical Bible or a digital Bible, I'm going to ask that you would please open up those Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we will find ourselves today. And um, before we get there, I would like for us to delve into a topic that may not be as commonly discussed as others, but one that still holds uh, significant importance in our spiritual journey. It's a topic that can sneak into our lives subtly, but it leaves us spiritually stagnant and unproductive. The topic that we are going to be exploring today is the topic of sloth. The topic of sloth. Now in our fast-paced world, it is crucial for us to pause and examine the presence of sloth in our lives, both individually but also as a church community. It is something that we must confront head on really as a vice and learn how to overcome sloth because it hinders our effectiveness in fulfilling the calling that God has placed for us and the purpose that we have in this life. Today we are going to uncover the nature of sloth. We are going to understand its spiritual implications and we are going to discover practical steps that each one of us can embrace diligently in our faith. Now, when most of us think of sloth, we think of this. Isn't it cute? Right? We think of, we think of the animal, the sloth, right? Known for its laziness. Known for its seemingly nonchalant way of living, right? You guys ever been to the zoo and, and seen a sloth up close? Yeah, speaking of laziness, speaking of laziness, this is a word associated with the deadly sin of sloth along with a few other namely but not limited to words. How many of you have ever heard the word apathetic? Yep, right? What about sluggish, idleness, avoidance, indifference, and one of my favorites, slacker. Sloth today is going to be used in the context of the same illustration that I gave in week one of this sermon series, uh, a tree illustration. Sloth is a main branch that is connected to the primary trunk of pride in the life of humans. Now, all of the words that we just used or, or, or used to describe sloth are similar, similar branches that are connected to the main branch of sloth. However, to really understand the term sloth in its truest sense, we have to see that sloth is so much more dangerous than any of those little branches. In fact, sloth is absolutely deadly in our lives. Hence why sloth made its way onto the list of the seven deadly sins. Now, if you're a note taker in here this morning, I want you to please note this. To be slothful is to be passionless. To be slothful is to be passionless. The word sloth comes to us from the Latin word acedia, meaning without care. It speaks to uh, the, the aimless indifference of somebody towards their responsibilities of God and even towards man. No passion for anything or anyone at all. In fact, 
Dorothy Sayer, um, world-renowned author, said this, Sloth is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains only alive because there is nothing that sloth would die for. In so many ways, sloth will force us to answer the question, what am I living for? What am I passionate about? I mean, to be passionate means that you and I are willing to suffer for something and someone greater than ourself. In fact, because in the end, when we are passionate, the joy that is gained far outweighs the suffering that we endure to get to the end. There was a definitive example of passion that we find in Scripture that was understood by a man who endured more suffering than anybody else outside of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and his name was Paul. He says this, it's going to hit the screens for you, Philippians chapter 3, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish. Why? Why? Because in order that he may gain Christ. In order that Paul may gain Christ. You see the connection, don't you? You see the connection to what we've been talking about thus far, up to what Paul is now saying in the book of Philippians. Paul had someone else as his pursuit, as his passion. He had something greater than himself that was worth suffering for. And who was that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was worth suffering for. And so Paul suffered and in doing so, he showed us the way that we are able to slay the sin of sloth in this life. Now, as we bear this example in mind and we move forward in our understanding of sloth and how to slay it, the first aspect I would like us to note this morning is that we should not be deceived by sloth. Do not be deceived by sloth. Now, there are people who are busy, people who are uh, or would label themselves a workaholic, and they already feel like there's no way that they could be slothful. They, they do not consider themselves a slacker or a sluggard. It's like, have you ever heard the phrase, oh, I'm really busy, or I'm constantly on the go, or I've got things to do, I'm already involved. Do you ever hear those? Maybe you've thought them yourself. Maybe you, in fact, have used those things yourself. Well, this is where the deception comes in with sloth, dear church. That thought right there, because at its heart, slothfulness is about spiritual resistance. It's about spiritual resistance. I mean, to borrow from the words of John Owen, he says that sloth is characterized by carelessness, unwillingness, and a half-hearted effort that easily becomes discouraged by difficulty. And isn't that ever true in, in our working out of relationships? Isn't that ever true in our working out of dealing with sin in this life or blessing other people or in doing that which pleases God? 
All of those simple actions require sacrifice from us. All of them. And if sacrifice is involved, oftentimes we simply don't want to do it. We don't. We would rather work overtime at the office. We, we, we would rather work on some home project or stay on the golf course or, or watch a movie or anything else that really helps us to avoid the issues in this life. You know, it, it's there, but we are slothful in dealing with it. The, the sluggard and the workaholic both express self-centeredness. Both of them. You're like, what do you mean, pastor? Well, they both live out a desire to control their own lives. Both of them. Neither lives to love others or to worship God. Though the workaholic fails to realize that in God's economy, work is not a showcase for self, but a means of supporting your family and blessing other people. And the sluggard on the other side of that fails to recognize and realize how they're harming not only themselves, but the people around them by wasting their time, their talents, and their treasures on things that will not matter for eternity. And this is where they both fall. And so please, dear church, please understand this morning that being slothful is not about having no desire at all. Being slothful is about having the wrong desire and no true passion. I believe Solomon in the book of Proverbs wisely spoke when he said the soul of the sluggard desires but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 13, 4. Just a few chapters later, in Proverbs 21, it was spoken that the desire of the slothful is what kills him. For his hand refuses to labor, and he covets greedily all the day, but the righteous gives and spares not. And so church, if you've been in church any length of time, If you've been around biblical things, you'll probably have come to realize that our desires in this life as sinful human beings are always twofold. Always twofold. Our desires are always for comfort and control. Comfort and control. You guys ever find that in your own life? Comfort and control. Imagine if we shut the air off and we had no lights and no seats for you, would you still come to church? Some of you, yeah. Others would be like, I can't because I can't sit on the floor. I won't be able to get up after that. I can't, I can't hear the guitar, so I'm not going. I can't hear the drums. Comfort and control are, are the two main problems that we see in this life. And what happens is then when, when we get neither of those things, because that's not really God's plan for you and I, we work harder or we become totally lazy. We end up on one side of the spectrum or the other. The last thing that a sluggard wants or a workaholic wants is to be interrupted by the needs of others because at its core, sloth wants total control and total comfort. That's it. Total control and total comfort. Sloth causes each one of us to live a life that is numb and joyless. You grow numb with work and and avoidance just doing the daily grind. You're, you're making movement, but there's no real progress in your life. And then what comes out of us? The, the fake it till you make it 
mentality. And then you grow joyless because you're never really experiencing and enjoying the beauty and the life that God has blessed you with. There was a man. Um, oh man, my brain is going to. Of course. There was a man who uh, was the lead singer of a hit alternative rock band by the name of Linkin Park. His name is Chester Bennington. And he and his, his buddies formed this alternative rock band and they sold over 70 million copies of their music. They had song titles that were called Numb and Crawling and In the End. Some of the most popular songs that they had produced. And, and I want to read to you the words of Chester Bennington. I want to read to you a man who was trying to express something. In one song, he says, I'm tired of being what you want me to be, feeling so faithless, lost under the surface. He goes on to say that he's holding too tightly, afraid to lose control. He says, every second I waste is more than I can take, and I've become so numb. Then another song, he says, discomfort endlessly has pulled itself upon me, distracting reacting. Against my will, I stand beside my own reflection. It's haunting how I can't seem to find myself again. He says, my walls are closing in. Without a sense of confidence, I'm convinced that there's just too much pressure to take. I felt this way before, so insecure. He goes on to say in that song, crawling in my skin, these wounds, they will not heal. Fear is how I fall, and it's confusing what is real. I want to read to you another snippet from another song. He says, it starts with one thing, and I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I designed this rhyme to explain in due time all I know, that time is a valuable thing. And I watch it fly by as the pendulum swings. I watch it count down to the end of the day. The clock ticks life away and it's so unreal. I didn't look out below. I watched the time go right out the window. Trying to hold on. I didn't even know. I wasted it all. I wasted it all just to watch you go. I kept everything inside. And even though I tried, it all fell apart. And what it meant to me will eventually be a memory of a time when I tried so hard and I got so far. But in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all. But in the end, it doesn't even matter. The man who wrote those lyrics tragically took his own life six years ago. Tragically. Here's a man who was pushing through life, seeming like he had everything all together. He had it all. He had all the money and the houses and the cars and the, the fans, that millions of people that followed after him. But almost in every song that he penned, he was literally screaming for help. He was crying out for a real relationship. He was hurt. He was broken. And as his song says, he was numb. No joy. None whatsoever. Please, please understand this morning the deception of sloth and how it makes you think that there is no hope. Do you see it? Do you see the danger this morning? 
Because we must also note, we must also note not just to be deceived, but we also have to understand the danger of what sloth does in this life. And so the second thing I want you to note is, is to understand the dangers, the dangers of sloth. Because sloth will lead you and I to a sinful habit pattern that will produce soil for other sins to begin to take root and grow in this life. I mean, sloth stunts you and it stops you and I from growing. In fact, I would even go as far as to say is that sloth sabotages your sanctification. It sabotages your sanctification. There is an unwillingness in sloth that says, I do not want to submit or surrender to God and serve other people. A lack of growth is, is due to poor nutrition and exercise and it zaps your energy. And so with all of that being said, I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 5. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 11. And it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's go into chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Verse 3, And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation." For God is not unjust so as to overlook your works and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that they may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Now, there are several views on this passage, and, and time is not going to permit me to address everything that is here. But I chose this passage primarily because it starts out by talking about slothfulness, and it ends by talking about slothfulness. It's a warning here in the text of the danger of sloth and how serious it can be in this life. And the danger is, is that sloth will not only stop you from growing, but it, it tempts you to quit. It tempts you to turn away from God. And the writer here, and I don't want us to miss this this morning, the writer of the book of Hebrews referred to his readers as dull of hearing. 
dull of hearing. And that word here in the text, dull, Can you hear me now? I don't think our online folks would be too appreciative of that. <laughs> that word dull here in the text comes from the Greek word northroi, which carries a sense of being lazy or apathetic or, or even being sluttish. And the, the, the criticism here is not that the readers are unintelligent or incapable of understanding, but rather they are careless with their faith. Uh, the church Please hear me out this morning, Christian. This life is a struggle. Amen? This life is a battle. It is a war. And the moment that we stop fighting, we're on dangerous ground. The moment that we turn away from truth, we are on dangerous ground. So please, please, please hear me this morning. You will never drift into spirituality. You will never, ever drift into spirituality. You won't. In fact, there was another warning that was given to us in the book of Hebrews just a few chapters before this. And if you've got your physical Bible and you want to turn there, I'm going to just read to us a few verses from Hebrews chapter 2. He says in verse number 1, Therefore, listen to this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hmm. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard it that while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now stop right there. Because according to this scripture right here, when truth is delivered and it's ignored, there are consequences that follow that. I mean, this applies to more than just a take it or leave it approach to the word of God. Drifting from truth results in problems. Amen? Drifting from truth results in problems. And the original Greek of this passage includes terms that both relate to deliberate sin as well as mistakes that may, are made on a daily or a regular type basis. Regardless of how sin comes out in our life, moving away from truth into error never ends well. Never. Not at all. And in the case of this particular message... God has gone to great lengths in the book of Hebrews to provide proof that there is no good excuse for drifting away from his word. No good excuse at all. And in fact, if we were to study out scripture, we would find that we are encouraged to not grow weary in well-doing, but to continue to persevere in the things that are pleasing to God. 
I mean, the author of Hebrews knew the temptation for the believer to go back, to quit, to just turn away from God. And that right there is the warning. That's the warning. Sloth will slip into your life when you hit a spiritual dry season. Sloth will come when you hit a hard spot in your marriage. Sloth will slip in when you struggle to make sense of the suffering that you're walking through in this life. When we see other people succeeding and we seem stuck. Sloth will begin to raise its ugly head and it will whisper, you see, it's not worth it. Just quit. You see all the effort that you gave and you still failed. Maybe you're not really saved. You you don't need to be so faithful. Just relax. It's, It's one scene of nudity. Just just stop praying because God's really not going to ever answer that prayer. Look at how happy that family is. They don't even go to church. Stop trying to work things out with your spouse. Find someone who understands and gets you. Stop disciplining your kids because they're going to keep doing it and in the end they're not going to like you. Can you hear the whisper of sloth? Avoid people. Uh, avoid problems. Love, love yourself. Comfort. Comfort your, yourself. Be in control of your life. And so, pastor, what do we even do? Well, what, what do we even do about the, the sin of sloth in this life? How do we even handle it? Well, that brings us to our third point is that we need to embrace the remedy for destroying sloth. We have to embrace the remedy. In the passage that we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6, there is a reminder in that portion of Scripture, an assurance of who we are because of salvation. I mean, I want to just hopefully speak to this for just a moment. Assurance talked about in the Bible is not like an insurance policy that you get to look at, right? Like looking at your marriage license to remind yourself that you're married. I hope you don't ever have to do that, but assurance in Scripture about our salvation is all about our identity, it's all about who we are in Christ. It has to do with the way in which we live, the manner in which we live. It talks about our new passion and our pursuit of Christ. Salvation for you and I is not earned by anything that we do, but it does involve effort as a result of who we are now. What we do after the fact. Sloth says resist. Salvation calls us to surrender. Sloth says avoid people and problem. Salvation calls us to engage. It calls us to engage. Sloth says quit. Salvation says to press on. 
And the danger is, is that we want a feeling from God when he's called us to just faithful obedience. We want some voice, some audible voice to just come and direct us when we've been given the word to guide us and we oftentimes neglect this. Church, we want delight, but we oftentimes won't even take the discipline of God in our lives. And I think herein is is where the remedy lies. It's not something that's just one and done. It's, It's not. It's a daily remedy that you and I have to embrace if we are ever going to destroy sloth in our lives. I've said this, I don't even know how many times, but we live in in a microwave mentality society where we can, we we want to be able to, to jump online like we do on Amazon and order the things that we need God to change in our lives and we hope for them to show up in 24 to 48 hours because we pay for Prime every year. Like, hold on, let me log on to the word of God and I need a little bit more peace today in my life. I need a little bit more love or some joy. So I just, I just paid for it, Lord. I, I, spent, I spent two days reading, reading Galatians chapter five. So how come peace isn't in my life? We, we, we become so frustrated because we spent two days in the word of God and nothing happened as though God was just going to ship us the fruit of the spirit to be a part of our lives and we were just going to genuinely walk it out every day perfectly. And we get discouraged and then we close our Bible and we stop reading it. We stop praying. We stop coming to church. The Christian life is difficult. It's hard. Change does not happen overnight. You're going to look in the mirror every single day and you're going to see the same person that you were yesterday. But as you submit and surrender to the Lord, he will begin to work things in and then out of you. Your attitude will begin to change about the truths of God's word. And when you embrace them, something radical happens in your life. But oftentimes, we don't want the surgery of the heart that comes with it. We want to bypass all of the sanctification process and just be like, God, I'm a Christian, so make everything all good in my life. But church, that's not how it works. Man, if that's how it works, then God hated Paul. If that's truly how it works, then God hated Job. God hated Jesus, if that's truly how. He hated his own son, if that's how it truly works. But church, it doesn't. It can't be one and done. Because if it was, there would be no need for a continued relationship with Jesus. There'd be no need for church. There'd be no need for discipleship or small groups or men's ministry or women's ministry. If we got it all like that, then it's done. But it's not. And so we're given remedy after remedy after remedy in scripture. And oftentimes we neglect it or our eyes are not prepared to receive it. And so we bypass it. We open up the word of God and we're like, show me something in this passage. And then you read it and you're like, well, I didn't get anything. Close my Bible and walk away. 
But church, there's a remedy here in scripture and the first aspect of that remedy is that we have to combat the temptation to turn away. We have to combat the temptation to turn back away from God. Because if you look to yourself, you will always want to quit. If you look to yourself, instead look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I've been a Christian for 29 years. And I didn't learn until I was in my 20s that I needed to preach the gospel to myself every single day. I lived miserably through my teen years because I didn't even know what it meant to speak the truth of God's word, even as difficult as they may be for you to speak out loud to yourself about repentance, about forgiveness, about grace, about mercy. The temptation to quit is sloth's call for you to abandon your first love. It's the call to abandon, to avoid the problem, to comfort yourself, to seek control. Church, I'm begging of you as your pastor, don't listen to sloth. Don't. Combat the temptation to turn back and then commit to staying the course. Commit to staying the course. Because sloth will always look for the easy way out in your life. It'll always look for the shortcut. The, the, the way to get around, don't look to numb the pain and the problems with artificial things. Don't look to drugs, don't look to alcohol, don't look to sex or relationship. The Christian life calls for us to submit first to Christ and then suffer for his name and then see the one who is greater than ourself. Christ wants you and I to be followers, not fickle fans of Jesus. My prayer since I took over as the pastor here was not I want the biggest church or the best musicians or the coolest lights. No, I've prayed since day one that God would give us a church that is faithful. A church that is faithful. And so stay faithful. Stay the course. Stay the course because being faithful, and please, please don't miss this. Being faithful does not mean that you're never going to fail. It means that you're moving in the right direction towards Christ. And then the last thing, church, is cling to the promises of God. Cling. Cling. Scripture here tells us about the witnesses who gave testimony of their faith and they persevered. They, they clung to the promises of, of God. They saw the prize, the, the inheritance, and they endured despite the temptation. And the text tells us to imitate them or, or, or to follow them or walk in their footsteps. Why? Because they serve as an example and they encourage us to stay away from slothfulness. And so if you're a note taker, I have one last thing for you to write down. The secret to slaying the sin of sloth is continuance in your pursuit of Christ. 
And as I was writing that, I'm like, say that five times fast. (laughs) The, The secret to slaying the sin of sloth is continuance in your pursuit of Christ. And so church, there's really only two choices for, for us today. There's the choice of continuing on and, and doing what has not worked and what does not work which pushes us further and further away from Christ, or the other is submit and surrender. That's it. Submit and surrender to Christ. I don't know where each and every single one of you are at in your relationship with the Lord, but those are the only two choices that we get. One leads to destruction the other leads to life. And so which are you going to choose? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is given to us, Lord. And, and now I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a mind to meditate upon these truths and that it would radically change us, that, that you would perform heart surgery if, if needed, in the, the places, the deepest, darkest corners of our heart that need your light in them. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, challenge us, that you would change us, Lord, and that you would, you would shape and, and mold us, create in us a heart and a desire for the things of God. Lord, Dare I, dare I pray, change the taste buds of our heart. Let us, let us put the, the truths that we have learned into the crock pot of our life and allow them to steep, to be a part of who we are. And that, Lord, we are able to show the people around us what it means to not just follow you, but to be sold out, to be, to be a devoted follower of you. God, give us strength as we depart from here in just a few moments. And we just ask and pray these things now in in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, before um, everyone gets up and starts to... um,